Something has caused the TARDIS console to explode, plunging the ship into darkness and rendering the crew unconscious. As they slowly recover, they find themselves suffering from loss of memory and headaches, and the TARDIS is behaving oddly. Has the ship been possessed in some way, or is something more dangerous happening to the time travellers? This is the edge of destruction. Welcome to Regenerated. you might be able to explain it. Why me? <laughs> Trying to confuse me, eh? <laughs> what are you getting at? Look, why don't we just try and open the doors and see for ourselves what's outside? What is inside, madam, is most important at the moment. Inside? But you've just been telling us that the only people inside are ourselves. Precisely. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Regenerated. My name, as always, is Matt. And I am joined by my co-host, Becky. Hello. And this week, we have the Edge of Destruction. Now, last week, we had the Daleks, which um, I think we both agree was um, the best one we've seen so far. Yeah. Um, yep. And a very good uh, a very good little serial. Um, well, I've only done two, so... <laughs> well, yeah, but we've got many more. But overall, you know, that's the the best one we've seen so far out of the out of the two um that being said quickly to say thank you to everyone who's listening we've had people from america listen to us becky and canada and turkey france it's you shoot me this morning yeah there's quite a, quite a few people um but well, i've shown you but the listeners don't know do they becky yeah but then you tell them not me well i am i'm telling them via you you're funny <laughs> anyway, Edge of Destruction, uh, it's just a little um, two-parter, sort of, it's described as a filler because uh, originally they didn't know whether or not they would get through to uh, past 13 episodes, um, so they decided to do a little bit of a filler episode, and this is the one. Apparently it was written in two days. Uh, what did you, you think? Tell. Well, what did you think of the Edge of Destruction initial re- uh, response to the Edge of Destruction? Very long-winded. Well, it was only two episodes, though. I know, but it was still long-winded, and it was rather confusing in parts. But you yeah. know, it's it's just I don't, yeah. know, I don't know. It kind of you know, one minute they they like they're possessed, and the next minute they're not, and they're actually fine, and it was all to do with something else, and it was just like, okay, really, they went through all that just to for that to be wrong. Yeah, I, I, I hear you on the confusing front. Uh, I found that there were elements in the story that weren't really picked up towards the end when they sort of did have the sort of overall outcome. Like I said, it was only like a, a little filler and recorded in two days. So um, we have to sort of um, give them a little bit of a little bit of a pass, I think, in, in some places. But anyway, we'll get to it. Uh, the Edge of Destruction. Yeah, I know, but the thing is, with the Edge of Destruction being the title, you'd think that it would have been more surrounded than that. 
rather than, you know, something else or, you know, acting like they're possessed all the time. Yeah, like I say, there was some confusing bits. Um, uh, quickly and say, uh, as we say, after this, we will quickly go through Marco Polo as well. I'll quickly interject that bit. Um, didn't go through all seven episodes of Telly Snaps, only a half an hour, and we're not really going to go through every point of the episodes because, like I say, we didn't really go through them. We're just going to go through uh, a little bit of a synopsis and what our thoughts on that, but we'll get to that in a minute. Let's say Edge of Destruction, two episodes, Edge of Destruction and The Brink of Disaster. Um, the first one starts off, obviously, where the Doctor goes to the console, tries to get some off Scaro. The console ends up exploding, and then they all get knocked out. Barbara is the first to awaken, and then Susan does, but they both have this sort of amnesia type thing. This is where we start to get into some... When you look back at the end, when you know the outcome of the story, this is where the confusing elements are. You know, there isn't. they don't really explain why they've got amnesia at the end or anything like that. Uh, they've noticed that the... I've banged my head harder than that, and I've never had memory loss. Well, is it to do with that? Is it, is it a concussion or something? I've had concussions, and I've never had memory loss. Well, anyway, they notice... Or that you get memory loss without concussion. Well, that's... Well, that is it, but... Don't you still forget what date we got married? Well, that's why I have you to remind me. <laughs> um, Susan, anyway, she sort of says that she's got this, like, neck and head sort of aches and that, which comes into play a little bit later on. But then again, they don't really explain that either. Although but the way she whinges about her neck resembles you quite a lot. Well, <laughs> like you as well. You, uh, you do you moan a little bit even if you get cut finger, Becky. So. When I get a cut finger, coming from Mr. Oh, I've got a bad boo-boo because I cut my finger while I was mm. shaving my face. Well, accidents do happen. Anyway, they notice that the doctor's head has got a big cut on it. And... Uh, which you don't see. Well, no, you don't, but maybe they didn't have the budget for that. Anyway, Ian sort of comes around. He's a bit disorientated. And I put this... Uh, this moment, there's a bit of a lack of concern for the Doctor. He's got he's sort of throwing back to that Daleks episode where they're sort of like saying, I wouldn't mind if he broke his leg. So uh, there was that little bit of lack of concern there for the Doctor. But then Ian sort of says, oh, shouldn't we really attend to him? Sort of as an afterthought, which I thought was quite a funny thing. Slowly their memories sort of come back, pieces of their memories come back. They keep saying about this thread about water. We want water. Do we need some, you know? Um, It's mainly because when people pass out or faint, normal thing w- response would be to make sure they're okay and get them water. Well, yeah, but I did think that maybe that was another one of them confusing elements. No. Uh, I don't know. But we get to see the food machine again, the big 60s box that Becky thought was a a bit like a Star Trek replicator. Yeah, just like, well, it is, but it's like a 60s sort of sci-fi cop-out. Yeah, it is a little bit. Um, Susan, she obviously goes to the food machine to get the water. She then goes through to the console room. The doors question are is, if it's a food machine, why does it need water? Water yeah. is not food. Well, there is a, there's a, like water a is bu- liquid. Well, yeah, but that does food and water. Well, then it should be called a food and water machine. Well, that's being a bit pedantic, I think. Yeah, my favourite thing to do. Oh, well. Anyway, Susan goes through to the console room. She sees that the doors are open on their own. And uh, this is the first one of them sort of confusing elements. Um, after that, Susan thinks that something might be in the ship, like a, a sort of artificial life form. Actually, I thought it was Barbara who did. Well, Barbara does later on, but Susan's the first person to think mm. it. So... She has this bandage that she they put round the doctor's head, and it's kind of 
again, it's one of them science sci-fi elements that are quite interesting as well that the Doctor Who seems to have come up with. It had like these strips of like, yeah, like an, yeah med medicine, antibiotic, whatever ointment, ointment sort of thing, and then it sort of seeps into the skin. And when the bandage goes completely clear, then the wound is white. healed. Well, clear, white. I know what I mean. And I think the viewers, or listeners, shall say, will know what I mean. After that, we had this sort of a uh, moment where Ian kept going to and from the doors, and they kept open and closing as he moves away. Which is, and like I say, there's, some, there's so many confusing elements. A bit strange. Uh, Susan tries to sort of go to the controls to try and sort of see if they can get out of here, only to faint. Again, another one of them weird elements. Ian takes her to what I called the bedroom, which is kind of... It was like a dentist chair. Well, it was a little bit. You said in the last in the last podcast about uh, you never really get to see them sleep, and I did say yeah, that it's coming up. In a previous episode, she actually had a bedroom with a bed. Well, I can't quite remember. I was that know. in an earthly child? I don't know. Maybe, Maybe the listeners can help us. Let's say it's been a few weeks since we watched that one, and we've watched mm. some more than Doctor Who since then. But yep, they have these sort of like fold away sort of beds that are kind of weird. They're not flat. They're sort of a curved. Well, sort they're of more. They look more uh, like sort of the wavy. gravity sort of lounger. Yeah. A sort of wavy sort of look to them as I well. I know they look like a gravity lounger that I wanted to buy for the garden. Well, they look very uncomfortable. They don't look like you'd want to have a sleep on them. No, they look more like a sunbathing sort of thing. The doctor is stirring and he wakes up and again he does that complaining about his neck, um, which is really strange because it only affects the doctor and Susan and they don't really say why later on or anything. Because they went near the column. Well, maybe that was the reason. Do they, do they say that later on? Yes. Oh, they do. See, you pay attention more than what I do. Oh, no. Brilliant, isn't it? Well, yeah. That's what women do. Then uh, Ian goes to the uh, food machine or food and drink machine to get Susan some water, um, only to find that it's saying that it's empty, but then a bag of water actually materialises or whatever you want to say, gets sort of fed out the slot or whatever you want to say. He sort of opens a little drawer and there's a like, bag of water. Um, a bit strange that water comes in a bag, though, maybe. Yeah, but the thing is... You know, with with the food and that, does that come in plastic as well? Oh no, we saw that what the food was like in the last episode, didn't we? It came yeah, in a, a rectangle sort of block thing. Yeah, I know, but was it in a wrapper? Well, yeah, I think it did have a wrapper. Mm, promoting plastic use, not a good idea. Yes, Ian goes back to take Susan the water, only for then Susan to have some scissors. She tries to attack Ian, and then she, I put she just flips out. Starts stabbing the bed with the scissors and then ends up fainting, dropping the scissors yeah, to the floor. Yeah, you never see any holes in the bed. Oh, again, again, I know what keeps saying about this this confusion about the episode. There's some sort of weird sort of things that happen. This is another one, you know, where she's sort of. It seems as if she's controlled by something, some is unknown it all force. Yeah, some sort of unknown force. Uh, the doctor wants to check what the fault lo- the fault locator. See, I got my got my words. Twisted today, Becky. Uh, yeah, he <laughs> wants to check the fault. That's it. The fault locator. Barbara again, like Becky said earlier. Barbara then wonders if there's something inside the ship that's sort of affecting them. I was thinking. Yes. Uh, yes. Yes. Anything may help. Do you think something could have got into the ship? No, no, no. When the doors were open. No, it's ridiculous. What do you mean? An animal. Or- a man or something. 
Yes. It's not very logical, is it? Hmm? Or another intelligence. The doctor sort of seems concerned that there's something happening here that he can't really explain. And then he needs Ian's help and uh, they go over to the sort of computer fault locator room. And I put that Susan sort of, as Barbara and Ian are sort of conversing before that happens, Susan sort of skulking about behind him and she ends up stealing the scissors. Then Ian and the doctor goes to the control room. Uh, the doctor complains that he can't really quite focus. He needs to help him. And again, that doesn't really get explained or anything about the numbers. Just just one of them strange little things. Barbara then goes to check on Susan, only to find out that Susan's awake and that Barbara knows that she has the scissors um, because for some reason Barbara is a clairvoyant. Barbara's not clairvoyant. She just has an intuitive nature, like most women do. And seeing as though Susan is behaving like a petulant child, then, you know, it's, it's kind of a maternal instinct in a way. Where you know full well if someone, if a child has nicked something, you know full well they've got it without even knowing that they've took it. Yeah. It's just what you do. Well, we'll get on to Barbara being a clairvoyant later on in the next She's episode. Not well, we'll get to that bit in a minute. It's anyway, instinct. Well, anyway, Susan confesses that she was she overheard Ian and Barbara talking, and that you can see that she sort of wants to attack or Barbara. Or maybe she just saw knew the scissors were there beforehand, and when she'd finished talking to Ian. They weren't. Well, possibly. You mm. know, and that and that she, the doctor wouldn't have took them. Yeah, maybe. Anyway, Barbara. Um, what was I saying? No, Susan. Then she's uh, fighting sort of the will to sort of harm Barbara. You can see there's that sort of inner conflict uh, inside her, saying, you know, knowing that she yeah, doesn't want to do anything. Yeah, but then there wouldn't be the inner conflict if something wasn't controlling her. Well, that's it as well. That's because that if she wasn't being controlled, then she would have never. Like, even thought twice about her and Barbara. It does seem like they, they sort of rip the edge of destruction the first part, and then they sort of had to get an ending, so they sort of scramble for an ending. You know, and forgot, forgot a little bit about the first part of it. Yeah, but that's the thing, because... To me, it kind of feels like they dr- sort of dragged it out a little bit. They had, like, enough for one episode, but they had to then drag it out a little bit. Yeah, I know, but the thing is, though, with that, it's a bit irritating, because... Well, yeah. I I I can see what you're saying. There's plot holes that they don't wrap up at the end, which well, can yeah, be a bit. They're a bit frustrating for the viewer. Anything was actually controlling her or not? Well, that is it. Anyway, Barbara then takes the scissors as Susan's sort of having that inner conflict. And uh, another element is that they keep coming back to the doors that opening and closing by themselves. And Susan says that she there might be something that's like sort of again that possession type thing about saying that something might be hiding in one of us. Ian and the Doctor then come back and to say that there are no faults with the ship. The Doctor says the fault could be outside the ship, only to turn on the scanner. And then Susan sort of does this sort of concerning thing where she sort of runs in screaming, saying, look, no, which again, I thought was another weird sort of element to it as we don't really know what's going on and nor do they. But it seems that Susan has this sort of intuition that she knows a little bit more than what she's letting on. Mm. I thought that was a bit that was a bit of a strange little thing. Yeah. Again, I put that neck uh, is only affecting the doctor and Susan, but as you said, Becky, um, it's to do with the console, and they were the only two that really around the console. Obviously, Barbara and Ian, they don't sort of touch the console; they don't go near it. Yeah, but when Ian goes near the console, then he ends up fainting. Yeah, 
That's it. And ends up with a pain in the neck. Yeah. The doctor puts uh, the image on the scan of what's outside. It's uh, a picture of England. They're saying that they think they're back. Only for then, I think, didn't the doors sort of open? And then there's sort of a loud roar, and then the doors close, and there's another picture, which is the planet Quinnus. There's another picture. Yes, the planet Quinnus of the fourth universe. Which they said that they'd been to previously. They were saying it was from the memory bank. Yep, that's it. They keep saying that it keeps flashing different places. But they've already been. Yep, that's it. And Barbara wants to go outside, but the doctor's more sort of interested about what's inside with them. Again, the doctor's starting to think maybe there's something inside here with us. Yeah. The doctor then blames uh, Ian and Barbara for what's happening. Saying and they're trying to kill him. Yep, basically, and sort of passing the buck, as it were, and passing the blame. He gets into this massive um, argument with Barbara. Uh, well, I wouldn't say it was an argument, because arguments are mainly two-sided. It wasn't two-sided. That was very much one-sided of him rather picking on her. Yeah. Again, is this the the fact that he's got this like, sort of bump on the head? Has he got a concussion? No, he's and just that's being why he's a sort bit of venting of a, a little bit. He's just being a bit of a dickhead because we all know that he's been a rather cantankerous old sod in previous episodes, and a bump on the head is just making him more cranky. Well, that's. Or is it the fact that he's a little bit vulnerable because he doesn't really know what's happening? He's concerned. That too, which makes any man cranky, let alone the older ones. Oh, that's it, yeah. Anyway, Barbara then lets out this gigantic scream because she's noticed that the clock has melted. And then Ian checks his watch and you don't really, they don't really say that. They don't really show you the clock very well, though. No, well, remember this 1960s, 60s effects. It just sort of looks tight like budget. So it's not going to be brilliant. I don't even know what it was, to be honest. Well, yeah, the clock melted. Obviously, till they mentioned it was a clock. Then the doctor wants to go and get them all some sort of drinks, which I say he sort of brings in sort of drinks. Yeah, because that wouldn't make you suspicious when he just accused you of trying to bump him off. Well, yeah, but I think he's just trying to be nice, maybe. Trying to be nice? Yes. You you know, you'd never be suspicious of anyone, would you? You know, at the end of the day, if someone's accused you of trying to do them in, and then they say, oh, but here, have a nice drink, and they start acting overly pleasant towards you, they're stuffing in it. Well, okay. To be, to be honest, I haven't watched it for a, a, a little while. And I've watched enough stuff to know you make your own drinks or you take them with you. You never leave them unattended. Well, I haven't watched The Edge of Destruction for a little while. And to be fair, I personally, as I was watching it, I didn't think it was laced with anything. I did. I didn't. So well, maybe I just have more of a suspicious nature. Maybe you do. Ian, he says to uh, the Doctor that he thinks that He's going to apologise to Barbara for their little argument. I think you should go and apologise to Barbara at once. I'm afraid we have no time for codes and manners. And I certainly don't underestimate the dangers if they exist. But I must have time to think. I must think. Rash actions is worse than no action at all. Hmm? I don't see anything rash in apologising to Barbara. But in the end, he doesn't go and do that because it ends up being Susan who goes to apologise to Barbara for the Doctor. And Barbara and Susan then are asleep and the Doctor's sort of checking on them. 
and it's great. It's this bit I thought was a little bit strange as well. A little bit of a sort of, uh, like I say, confusion again about this bit. Uh, Barbara and Susan are obviously asleep. The doctor comes in, checks that they're still asleep. He then sort of does this little chuckle. And then he goes over well, to yeah, Ian. Yeah, because it lays still with some well, sleeping maybe. thing. Maybe. But why is he chuckling? I don't know. It's because sort of it, his plan obviously worked. Yeah, it's a bit of a, bit of a weird, weird thing. He goes over to Ian. to go into a girl's room when oh. they're bloody sleeping anyway. A little bit. But he goes over to Ian to check to see if he's asleep as well. He then goes to the console room, only to then sort of turn round and have two hands go up to his throat. And then that's the end of the episode. So, like I say, there's a lot of confusing elements in that first episode that don't really get discussed in the next episode. But we'll go into the next episode, which is The Brink of Destruction. So he starts with that cliffhanger again. Hands around the throat. It turns out to be Ian, um, who then goes to the console and then faints. So like you say, it seems to be whoever goes over to the console ends up fainting. And then he accuses him again of trying to do him in. The, the Doctor then, sort of, yeah, like you say, he accuses like Ian of play acting. And Susan thinks... Uh, the worst. Yeah, the Doctor thinks then it's, it's Barbara and Ian that are controlling the situation. Conspiring against them. Barbara and Ian, they try and convince uh, the Doctor and Susan's sort of on the fence. She's sort of trying to sort of be in their corner a little bit but the Doctor's being like his normal stubborn self. Cantangled. Uh, Ian's sort of pointing out that it's actually the control panel that's responsible. The Doctor then decides that because he blames Ian and Barbara, he wants them off the ship. Um, but Susan says, well, you can't open the doors, though. But that's weird because the doors have been opening and closing all the time. So I can't understand how they sort of say that. But they just wait, wait for the doors to open and then chuck them out. They're saying they're in the middle of space. And they said there's you don't know what's out there. It could be freezing. They may not be able to breathe. Well, I don't think he's really concerned about that at the minute. He just wants them off the ship. <laughs> yeah, I know. But that's what Susan was trying to put across. But Susan was the voice of reason. And trying to sort of convince the doctor that he's wrong. Then they hear the danger signal from the fault locator. I may even change my mind. What what was that? The danger signal. The fault locator. The whole of it. I don't touch it, doctor. It's all right. No. Uh, no, you'll get knocked out. It's all right, Dr. Father, it's tell me. Right. The whole area of the fault locator has just given us a warning. But everything can't be... Everything can't be wrong. That's what it means, child. Ian then attacks Barbara. For what what reason? I don't understand that reason. It seems that... I don't know. Yeah, it's just one of them weird things. Yeah, that was just, just a bit abrupt and out of the blue. Yeah, it's just really weird. Then the Doctor then points out that the ship is on the brink of disintegration. And I put William Hartnell as a doctor. He did a few like line fluffs as well in this. He sort of fluffed his lines a little bit. And obviously it's well known that he did struggle a little bit, especially towards the end with getting his lines out and that. Then the doctor sort of confesses that he laced their drink with a sleeping drug and that the doctor misjudged Ian and Barbara and that he got it wrong. And then I put Barbara understands. She sort of put the plot together really quickly, and um, I can't. And figured out the solution and everything. Yeah, I can't really remember what kind of teacher Bar- uh, Barbara is. Is she history? Is she well done? Yep. History. So and Chesterton was a math teacher. Yeah, but 
they're not like physics or science. So how does she figure it out like that? Even the doctor who's like... Because in history, a lot of um, previous people, like Da Vinci, um, used to leave clues lying around and everything. In his paintings, in his works, he there was always a clue towards something. And, uh, and Da Vinci's not the only one. There used to be loads and loads of people who used to do mm. it. All different um, people across... Millions of different civilizations all over history. I don't think she was thinking of Da Vinci when she figured it out, though. No, I'm not saying specifically Da Vinci, but there are other cultures where they do the same thing in history. Well, it's nice. It's a nice little turn, I suppose, because normally the Doctor sort of figures out everything, uh, and it's nice for the companion to actually be one step ahead of the and Doctor. And not be treated like a dumbass. And also, it's sort of. You know, for the 60s, they've sort of empowered yeah, the a female is, a as well. What they the tend cast. to do these days is, or even more so in the older episodes, is um, they seem to think, right, Doctor's got to figure this out. And they don't give the companion much chance to at all. And they get treated more like they're thick as anything. Well, it's like I'm saying, it's nice for, like, in a 60s TV programme, them to empower a woman actor well yeah it is nice for them to empower a woman and be and you know good on them for that but at the end of the day it's nice for a companion not to be treated like dumbass i think i think male or female i think also in later doctor who the companions become sort of the the questioning sort of the 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 viewers questions although just as an example when i'm not sure i think it's when christopher eccleston um comes about and you've got like um rose and mickey as companions rose ends up being the smart one and mickey ends up being the one who's a bit of a div let's uh well we'll we'll get on to that in a a very very long time because we've still got another what seven doctors to go through but yeah it's seven no it's seven well because he's the ninth and we're on the first oh yeah 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 see i can count it depends are you including john hurt in that well, he didn't. Know, he was in like a special, but he doesn't really have his own sort of storyline, does he? No, um, okay. So yeah, it's nice to see that, that a, a female role is being like the um, the pa- normally like saying the the companions. Like I wish her hair would have some empowerment because well, it's the sixties, isn't it? Betty? It looks god awful. Sixties hairstyles, but the the sort of companions, well, the companions later on become a sort it's of nearly as um, bad as the mullet. Well, yeah. Then we'll probably see some of them as well oh in the God. future. But yep, the companions become sort of the the questions of the audience. So they'll be like, "Well, what's that? Why is that that?" And that's mainly what the the companions become in the future. So it's nice to see a companion actually be more involved the in the plot and have I the find answers. With, um, with Ian, though, he seems to like take charge quite a lot and think he's in control. Well, there's a few. There'll be a few male companions that are a little bit like that. Yeah, but like I said in the last um, episode, I basically said about his need to be in control and like some sort of male territorialism. But in this one, he's not really the the hero, as it were. It's more of a Barbara's hero, more. Well, yeah, she sort of understands it more. But he still has that sort of conflict with the Doctor, and it's like they're trying to think, right, well. You know, I'm still better than you. Well, they're still not going to 
It's another one not going to go away. I think we've had that conflict for a little while. Anyway, we get the first sort of um, initial hint that the TARDIS is more than just a TARDIS. There's a mention to the Centum Column. I did say in a couple of episodes ago that I didn't actually know what they called it. It's actually called the Column. And that there is hints to a, a heart underneath, or the heart of the TARDIS underneath the Column. So even back then, they were sort of saying that the TARDIS is a living, breathing organism and that it has a heart and sort of it's its own sort of thing, yeah. which I think is quite quite interesting. The Doctor then says that there are 10 minutes. They have 10 minutes to survive. But then we later on find out that actually he's sort of not telling Susan and Barbara the true account there because actually they have five minutes and there's nothing they can really do. Barbara says that basically the clues the clues have been there all along and she's just figured it out. And uh, it would be a take a, a great force to pull the force away from the TARDIS, i.e. the Big Bang. They sort of surmise that they've... Well, they, they say the creation of a new solar system. Well, this is the Big Bang, basically. That's where they've gone. Basically, they've gone back in time all the way to the beginning. Beginning. Uh, then the Doctor, he sends uh, Susan and Barbara to the doors to wait for them to open, uh, to see what's outside. He sort of mentions to Ian that this is a bit of a ruse because, like I said before, They've only got five minutes and he didn't really want to worry him. The door's open and there's absolutely nothing there. It looks like it's completely white. Black. I thought it was white. I thought it was black. I think if you look at it, it looks like white. It looks white, but she just said space. Yep. So I'm well, presuming space is black. Well, maybe. Or it could be just an empty space of white. Anyway, they say that Barbara, I think it is, it says that when there's a good pictures, the doors seem to open. And when there's bad pictures, the doors seem to close. Or I think that's Ian. I'm not really too sure. I can't really remember. Uh, the Doctor then figures out that the, the ship has been trying to tell them all along what's been wrong. And that it's basically gone back to the beginnings of time. And that he's figured out that they used the fast return switch after leaving Scaro. And basically, the spring was broken. Where are we? When we left the planet Scaro, where did you ask the machine to take us to? Think, Doctor. I uh, had hoped to reach your planet Earth. Scaro was in the future, and I used the fast return switch. The fast return switch? You've sent us back too far. Hmm? Doctor, show me. Show me that switch. Where is it? Well, I, I, I can't very well see it without the light, can oh. I? It's near the scanner yeah. switch. Really? But that's the part of the control that's safe. That's strange. And it was stuck on, and then they sort of basically bodge a DIY engineering and they get the TARDIS working, and Bit that's kind tight. of that's kind of the gist of why all this has been happening. And again, there's you only no need a bit of duct tape. Well, that's <laughs> it. Duct tape solves everything. Yep. So they get it again. There's obviously there's a bit of uh, the winding down, as I call it, to the episode where they explain what had happened. Uh, they didn't never explain why uh, they sort of acted the way they did. Why they acted a bit sort of possessed and sort of why they were going for each other and all this, that and the other. But, oh well, like I said, I think that they had this episode and they kind of had to fill it out to two episodes. They did that. There's a bit, there's a scene where sort of Barbara still seems affected by the argument that she had with the Doctor, uh, or by the Doctor's words. Uh, and then I put William Hartnell as a Doctor again, gets Ian Chesterton's name wrong again. Now, I'm starting to think that that's a character trait. I'm starting to think that that's not actually ad-libbed and that's not actually a fluff on um, part of William Hartnell. I'm thinking that that's a part of the character now. 
is that he keeps getting uh, his name wrong. Obviously. Yeah, well, I didn't know whether or not in the last episode that was actually right or wrong. But it seems to be that's actually scripted it's like now. He seems to say it every time and then he sort of smiles at him and it seems like he knows full well that he's doing it. And it just it just seems like he knows full well he's doing it. Yeah. And then he knows that irritates him, so he sort of smiles afterwards mm. as if to say, Yeah, I, I know full well what your name is, but I'm not gonna say it, I'm gonna say it wrong just to annoy you. The TARDIS then uh, takes off. Uh, the Doctor and Barbara sort of talk it out, I put, and they sort of made amends. And then they got to the, the next area or next planet or whatever you want to call it, which is a, like a snow planet where Barbara and Susan see a gigantic footprint. And then that was the end of the episode. And then we went into the next series, which would have been Marco Polo. Now, I know we got your initial reactions at the sort of beginning I asked you what do you think of the edge of the time but now we're at the end of it and we're going through it probably a bit scrappily but I did try to sort of go through it as best as I could what did you think of the overall serial I certainly like to say it's only a sort of a filler thing but what did you think of the edge of destruction yeah I've seen worse yeah it gets a lot of I think it gets a lot of stick I think for what it is it is only two episodes again like I did last time uh, the Doctor Who episode guide uh, by Mark Campbell his verdict on the edge of destruction was a strong imagery, weak plot. It's sometimes it's sometimes painfully slow, although there are some exquisite moments of psychological horror, and he gave it a six out of ten. So he put it one below the Daleks. I would personally my rating would be I would give it an average, I'd give it a five out of ten. I think it's just in the middle. I don't think it's it's not better than the Daleks. I wouldn't say a five because I gave the unearthly child a five. Well, five slash six. We well, sort of compromised in the middle of a five point five, probably. What with the unearthly child? Yes. Um, I don't know. I'd say maybe a seven. It mm. wasn't as boring as the unearthly child, but it could have been better. I think for what it is, I think it's actually quite good. Um, I'd say about a seven. Well, yeah. Okay, we'll go for a seven then. But I'm still sticking at five. Only because you can count. <laughs> Maybe. Let's say I count on five fingers. Anyway, would have been next would have been Marco Polo. Seven episodes. I'll go through the episodes. Uh, the Roof of the World, The Singing Sands, 500 Eyes, The Walls of Lie, Riders of the Shang 2, Mighty Kublai Khan, Assassin at Peking. Uh, obviously, this serial is missing, uh, which is sadly missing. Um, there's obviously there's been multiple rumours about it being out there still and they may end up finding it one day but we watched a half an hour telly snap which is okay but it's not really sort of perfect shall we say watching the telly snaps I could have watched seven episodes of telly snaps but I like to see moving pictures with words um, it's just sort of my rather than being talked over well that's it as well um, but the synopsis uh, arriving in cent this is off um, the fandom's TARDIS page uh, arriving in Central Asia in 1289 the Doctor and his companions join the caravan of the famous explorer Marco Polo as it makes its way from the snowy heights of the 
Palma Plateau across the treacherous Gobi Desert and through the heart of the Imperial Cathay. Having witnessed many incredible sights and surviving a variety of dangers, they arrive at the mighty Kublai Khan's summer palace in Shangtu, where the Doctor strikes up an extraordinary friendship with the now aging ruler. They move on at last to the even more scrumptious Imperial Palace in Pekin, where the Traveller saved the Khan from an assassination attempt by the Mughal warlord Tagana, supposedly on a peace mission before departing once more in the TARDIS. I think, I think overall, I think Doctor Who does historical pieces really, really well. Uh, it's renowned that the BBC are very good at his, history pieces, and we'll see that a lot um, coming through Doctor Who, even to today, that their history pieces are really good. Um, like I say, we can't really go through every point of the episode, and I'm not going to. I'm just going to say that from what I've seen, I think that if eventually when it's found, I think it's going to be a very, very good serial. Um, some people I've read that said, again, it suffers like the Daleks, where after four episodes it should have been done because it did drag on a bit, and that four episodes is sort of key number to Doctor Who. Um, like I said, I can't really comment because we haven't really seen it. Again, I'll go through the uh, the episode guide and go through the verdict on um, Marco Polo. It's a mighty feat to produce a serial as ambitious as this in Lime Grove's tiny Studio D, and the attention to detail in the script and setting is impressive. The narrative takes place over a period of sev- several months, adding a welcome note of reality to proceedings. And he gave it a 9 out of 10. Um, like I say, I can't really rate it because I haven't really seen high. it. Uh, well, we can't, I can't really comment because I haven't seen it all. You know, if I just seen it well, all. from what I've s- s- watched of it, as um, a snap, yeah. I'd still only give it a 7. I think I think that sort of voiceover narration from Marco Polo and the map showing you know, their travel is a very good... I'm of, hoping that maybe one day we do actually, you know, get to see the actual episode. Um, or, well, the serial, as you say. And, you know, so, and hopefully that can change my rating on it. But I, I, I don't know if that'll ever happen. My initial reaction is that it does seem a very simple story. Um, but from the photos that we see, I do, I do think, again... I said this about the Daleks. I do think the sets are really, really good. Mm. Um, and you know, I, I d- the only reason I give it a seven is one being long-winded, two, um, the fact of you say a simple story, and you know it could have had more sort of bark to it. And you know, yeah, like I say, maybe one day we'll be lucky enough to actually see the serial. Well, um, I have hope that we're going to get it back one day, I think. And hopefully, you know, in that point in time, that will change my rating. But for now, it stays at a seven. Yeah, that's fair, fair play, I think. It's one of the serials that's the most sought after from the fans. Uh, that's the one that they want back the most. It's highly regarded by the fans as a really good story. Again, The only question is, why are there so many missing episodes? Because I know they say they wiped they re- them. I know because they re-recorded over the reels, but why did they only re-record over you know these those specific ones? Why are the, uh, you know what I'm saying is how come there's still very few missing episodes when the rest was recorded perfectly fine? Well, that that's um, 
that's a conversation for another podcast about missing episodes and why. But the sort of in a nutshell is because obviously the 60s tape was very expensive. So they had to sort of reuse it. They obviously didn't think that Doctor Who would get to the sort of level it is with yeah, fandom and that. And also home videos as well. They distributed some of uh, the other episodes across the world. And that's kind of how they kind of avoided the uh, the wiping. Uh, but, you know, sadly, Marco Polo, and there's obviously several, is it 99, I think it is? Uh, or is it lower than that now? I'm not really too sure. But there are quite a few, just under 100, missing. Obviously, some are being animated. This is a contender for being animated. Um, we'll have to see. But, like I say, it, it's a shame that any Doctor Who is missing, even if it is rubbish, or even if it's as good. It's just a shame. Yeah. But... We have hope. Well, I think that, you know, a lot of people, including, you know, yourself, there are genuine collectors out there who actually want to have the whole collection and will never have the whole collection because of those missing episodes. Well, there's a lot, there's a lot of red tape involved with private collectors who potentially could have this serial in their possession, don't want to give it to the BBC because they don't think they'll be treated very well or... You know, maybe they're after some money and they're not getting the amount of money or whatever or reason it is. maybe they had to fork out a lot of money to get it in the first place and they know full well that they won't get their money back. Potentially. Um, a lot of people are more about greed than doing what is well, best for the public. Well, that is it, you know. They sort of deny the fans the, uh, the opportunity well, yeah, to see it, which is, I think is, is a shame. Well, I can watch it in my own, f- in my own home. I don't give a monkeys about anyone else and well, things like that. And they're all about, well, oh, yeah, but I will if I get a decent amount of money for it. It's also the sense of power. They have a yeah. sense of power that they have something so valuable, so sought after, that they just don't want to give it up. Yeah, but a lot of people thrive on power. And, you know, well, they, they don't use the term power hungry, you know, for no reason. And a lot, a lot of people... When once they get power in their heads, you know they just go mental. Well, that is it. Um, recently, uh, Philip Morris, who obviously is a big, a big uh, sort of, uh, I don't know what you call him. Sort of, I call him sort of a sort of episode hunter, as it were. He is the one responsible for bringing back some missing episodes. Quite a big haul a few years ago. He's actually recently gone on to um, uh, a video on YouTube. Uh, an interview thing and said that he he knows that there are six episodes out there missing from the archives that are in collector's hands so you know sadly who knows when we're going to get them back even if we do get them back we'll have to see but like I say he should, he's the man in the know um, and I do trust that what he's saying is true but let's say we'll find out one day whether or not it will be back in the archives we have to have hope uh, let's say these episodes it's been quite a while since we've had a, a a missing episode returned so hopefully one day soon they will be back one will at least crop up from somewhere yep anyway that's a quick go through of uh, Marco Polo and the Edge of Destruction the next one is the Keys of Marinus that's right isn't it yeah. I got it right. I've been struggling with that all day and I got it right on the first <laughs> try uh, which is another six part serial. Again I'm not going to go too much into it because this is not that podcast. That will be the next one. But I quite I quite like this one, even though that's controversial and a lot of people don't like it. But I quite like this one. And 
It's a nice little, uh, nice little cereal. But let's say again, thank you to everyone who is listening. Uh, we appreciate all the downloads and listens. Uh, but I think now I'm going to ask um, the listeners out there who get this far into the podcast. Hopefully, you're still listening. What do we do next? We did say it's a fortnightly podcast. We want to get a few episodes out there to get sort of the listener base up. Now I would like to see what the people who are listening think. If you could go to our Facebook page and regenerate a Doctor Who podcast or the Twitter, regenerate 1963, and let us know, would you like us to continue this weekly or are we going to go and stick with the fortnightly format? I've got no problem doing it weekly. I think we can fit it in. I think we can get it up and that. So, you know, it's, it's, it's fun doing these. And if we can go weekly, then that's, yeah. I'm happy with that. So, But we need people to let us know if there's a demand for it. If not, we will go fortnightly. Uh, and again, let's say that's the Facebook, Twitter. The website, regenerated1963.wixsite.com forward slash regenerated. And then again, that's that Patreon at patreon.com forward slash regenerated. Like I say, we look forward to the next one. So... I think we are should I say I've I've rambled on for too long too long now. As always. And so uh being as it Once is upon a time I had hard trouble trying to get you to say two words to anyone yeah. in my family and now I can't shut you up. Oh I know. Put the microphone in my hand and I could talk for England. <laughs> so on this very, very hot day in England as we're recording this, we are now gonna go and cool down. So we'll leave it there. So I think we'll say goodbye. So say goodbye, Becky. Goodbye. Bye-bye.